0: He busy hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG fitness podcast I have with me Schler who's our newest coach and finally we're going to do a little bit of an intro so welcome to the podcast and welcome to commit to six slash ESG fitness coaching
1: thanks Emma I'm so excited <laughs>
0: Okay, so we're gonna go over a couple of topics today. And I put a post in the group this morning and I didn't expect like over 20 comments to come from that. I kind of thought someone might be like, oh, could you tell us a little bit about this? But there's like a lot to get through. So we'll get through as many as possible. Um, but first of all, like I thought I, I really wanted people to get a little bit of background about you, so you're not just like random person and and actually why you're here and why I'm so excited to have you as a coach so give us a little bit of background about how you got into coaching what you do now and then what you're going to do with us
1: okay uh so my kind of coaching experience started more with actual sport so like rowing and trampolining and um, it was through that that I just knew that I loved coaching so then I went and kind of did my undergrad in physiology and my master's in S C to pursue that kind of career in S&C. Um, which for those
0: who don't know is strength and conditioning.
1: Oh sorry yeah <laughs> strength and conditioning. <laughs> um, back then that was primarily geared at athletes now it's trying to you know like the the profession as a whole is trying to open up and make sure that that's like general population and anyone else that needs like strength and conditioning um so not only just strength training but you know like anything that's involved in what their goal is so like fitness and if it's speed agility any of that too um so back then I wanted to work with athletes I wanted to be you know like GB rowing coach and all of this kind of thing um and then I ended up working at the Scottish Institute of Sport, which was really great. I uh, worked with some uh, GB athletes there, some GB fencers who all went to Commonwealth, which was really probably one of like my best achievements, I think. Um, and then that's where I started personal training as well. And that was a bit hit in the face for me, actually, because it's different working with professional athletes or athletes compared to general population. So for me, that was a really big learning curve in the sense of like thinking about barriers because like with an athlete, usually there's maybe some barriers there, um, but it's more timings and trying to fit stuff into a schedule to optimize their performance. Whereas with general population, there's a lot more to actually consider sometimes. And that was something that really helped me uh, and made me realise that I enjoyed working with general population as well. So uh, since then, I've been doing kind of some online, some face-to-face with pop general pop, but I've also worked at a few universities uh, coaching. So St Andrews most before this and the University of Gloucestershire teaching. Uh, and then most currently, I've been coaching at Bristol City Women's Academy as well. So I have missed out some stuff, but that's like the general line. <laughs> Oh, and I was working at Origin as well, wasn't I? Is that where I met you more?
0: Did I meet you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, you were definitely working at Origin when I knew of you, yeah.
1: Yeah, which is yeah. where I was a master trainer and education coordinator. So that was quite good. That was a different role. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's such an interesting point about, I remember graduating uni and having only really like had my own experience as an and then... I went down like I mean I didn't go half as far as you did, but like I was going down the S and C role because I thought that's what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah.
0: Then I just kind of like then I was working with general population. I was like, why are they not doing what I say they did? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like the the art of coaching in what we do. So for example, with like online coaching, yeah, like getting someone from knowing what to do to actually doing it, like telling someone what to do to lose fat and to build muscle we could both do in our sleep, right? Like, that actually isn't really that hard. There are some considerations now and again and, like, maybe slight adjustments, but that side of it's actually quite easy. Yeah. Think that they're coming for that, right? They think they're coming to be told exactly what they should eat, what they shouldn't eat, and the exact workouts they need to do and exactly how many steps they need and what their calorie target is. Like, that's what people think that they need to get results. But actually what they need is, like, the accountability, the support, the... Assurance at exactly the right time. The amount of people that give up on their diets because the scales have fluctuated when they're actually making progress, actually losing body fat, actually getting results. And then all they need is someone who they know, like, trust, and respect, i.e., a coach to be like, at the right moment, let me just reassure you that actually, you know, you don't need to change, it's just a fluctuation on the scales. That can be, it seems so small, but like that can be the difference between sticking at something long enough to finally get results and giving up for the hundredth time definitely and it
1: was like I just remember there was one client that I had at this beginning a lot of the girls that I'd worked with actually guys and girls were all they wanted to start strength training and they were nervous about being in the gym so they wanted that kind of hold your hand um situation and but one girl I just remember the, the targets we were setting her she never hit them and I was like what am I doing wrong like why is she not doing this and then you know Aiden mm-hmm. I remember speaking to him and he had a lot what well, he's got a lot more experience than me and then as well he'd been working with a lot more general population and he was like have you talked to her like have you actually spoken to her and said like why are you not doing it what's the what is there anything else like externally that is affecting this and then everything was just let out and I was like oh (laughs) so there's a lot going on in her life so then that was like something I always remembered like even with athletes now like there's a reason someone isn't at their top of the game and doing you know like not doing what I am telling them to, to do to achieve their goal it's like okay what else is going on um and that yeah I that was very important at Bristol City as well with like the teenage girls that I was working with um so yeah yeah
0: um I think it's really common people beat themselves up a lot about knowing what to do but not doing it like what's I I know I don't think I need coaching because I already know what to do it's just I'm not doing it it's like what you need to work on and that's the hardest part like yeah yeah. the other stuff is kind of relatively easy it's figuring out what your own barriers are and then actually overcoming them and a lot of that is I quote mindset work right which a yeah. lot of people just kind of see as like wishy-washy but it's by far the hardest part right and actually right. Give, I don't know a rep of eating one chocolate biscuit and then not eating all of them or proving to yourself that you can stop eating after dinner and not a snack in front of the tv or you can go out for a meal and choose relatively healthy options and then just continue with your day instead of freaking out about it yeah just as important as the reps you do in the gym like if you want to get back doing push-ups you'd be like "Yeah, I should probably just do more (laughs) push-ups yeah and but yeah when we're like oh I want to get better at moderation around food people are like well I'm just all or nothing nothing I can do about it yeah you need to do the reps in that as well yeah
1: it's a good way of putting it
0: Okay, right. So what I'm going to get onto is some of these questions. Okay. Um, so, and I'm going to kind of pick the ones. Uh, Claire will answer all of these in the group, by the way, guys, if we don't answer on here. But I'm going to pick the ones I think might be slightly better for the podcast. Um, okay. What about this one from Leslie? I'd like to know the best way to strengthen areas which I've had problems with for many years, e.g. lower back as a particular weak point. Even though I train my core, I see very little progress in this area. I wonder how you see progress in your lower back. Um, Anyway, because just one wrong move sets off my back. Um, I'm tired of doing planks, knees, being unable to do deadlifts, etc.
1: So like not knowing what she's specifically doing, it's kind of hard to say exactly what she could do, but I'll talk about it as in how I would approach that area so like think uh, what I see a lot of people doing with their core say lower back area is always thinking about endurance which is important because you know you're you're standing quite a lot of the day you're sitting your core has to be able to endure a long period of time supporting you know your trunk and everything and but Treat it like you would treat anything else, like think about training it for, you know, volume, but also think about training it for strength. So that could be potentially that help, something that helps her is um, if she is doing the planks, I'd say that she's trying to like, probably, I'm just assuming go for as long as she can. Um, Maybe she might just be doing it for 30 seconds and that stimulus might not actually be hard enough. Um, So that could be two issues that's happening. I'd maybe suggest um, adding load to it and thinking about shorter durations as well. And that could be for any exercise that she does is like adding load to the exercises around her core and lower back um, to make it more of a strength stimulus than just endurance all the time. Um, I had lower back injuries like, you know, forever. And I can remember having it when I was a teenager and it's only just gone in the past, like since COVID. Um, and I changed the way I thought about that whole area. One, I read a book called Pain is Really Strange. I don't know if you've heard about that, um, and it just talks about, it's about Ed Baker, you've, you've had a podcast with him before, and, and you had his talk at...
0: Um, it was so good.
1: Yeah, so what he talks about could be something that is linked if she's getting back pain and just random exercises. So reading that book and understanding that connection, the mind body connection, but also introducing different movements where you feel comfortable without pain is something, but also just loading it through that spectrum of like endurance to strength as well. And then she might see a difference in how um, everything's reacting.
0: Yeah, I think with specifically um, Leslie, she says that she's tired of doing planks from her knees And being able to, unable to do deadlift. So I guess it's less so that she's just doing hours and hours of planks, which you're right. Like at some point you're kind of like, maybe, you know, you should do something else instead of just doing the plank.
1: Um, Maybe even that, if she's only doing planks for duration on her knees, maybe even doing 10 seconds, like as a full plank, 10 seconds up, five seconds rest, 10 seconds up, five seconds rest, 10 seconds up. And that's one rep when I was coming back from my back injury like I did that and then I progressed it to like 15 seconds and 20 seconds and then to like two sets and three sets and then I added weight and it's just about thinking about that gradual pro- um, progress as well in that area so that could be something say in this situation if
0: if you're, you sort of say like I, I keep pulling my lower back I would go and see a physio even if it's like yeah. not having up it's just a precaution if you're like look for my whole life, I've had this, or for the last year or a couple of months, and every time I try and do more, it just pulls. Is there any kind of like rehab program you can give me based on? Because they're actually going to test you, see where you're weak. It's one yeah. thing like almost like generic healthy back advice, but the amount of questions I got about my back when I had a bad back, like, hey, I have a bad back too. What should I do? And I'm like, it's all different. Like it could literally be anything for you. Yeah different for me and so you do really need to I think getting assessed is a really really good idea and yeah. prevent better than a cure right so even if you're like oh wait till it flares up like no no like just go now and get a bit yeah. of a plan so that hopefully then it doesn't flare up yeah okay this is quite a good um general question Nina okay bit long-winded is it okay to train likes most days I only use machines, no compound lifts. I'm rehabbing a meniscal tear with physio exercises provided using the gym. and training for a half marathon, so only able to fit in two runs. I tend to at least do leg extensions and leg curls, even on push and pull day. I'm also uh, to do single leg press, Bulgarian split squats, gastro and solea single uh, calf raises and glute med bands. I'm trying to do enough to rehab, but not too much to tie my legs for the runs.
1: I would say if it's be prescribed on a physio emphasis that I assume that these aren't very heavy. Mm-hmm. So doing this every day, that there would be no reason why it should be an issue if you're potentially seeing that it interferes with like your running ex- experience, like your running results and if you feel like your legs are, you know, like, if you've got DOMS, like, delayed onset of muscle soreness, if you have that consistently and it doesn't go away, then I'd maybe question doing it every day. Um, but if it's physio prescribed, it shouldn't, it should, like, usually they would eventually want you to build up to every day to do these kind of rehab things or at least every second day. So I, it should be fine. Um, I'd question if it was heavy lift. like if you were squatting heavy every day I would say no that's probably silly. Um, <laughs> I but- find this question like more conceptually this question is quite
0: interesting because I often get people when I share my morning routine and I'm like I do two sets of 10 pull-ups and two sets of 10 push-ups and some Mountain climbers every single morning, right? And people are like, don't you like, won't you not recover from doing pull ups every day because it's the same muscle group that you're using? And I think a really important point, like kind of what Claire touched on, is like your physio might want you to work up to that. So if Claire just started doing 10 pull ups every day, then yeah, you probably have really bad DOMs after yeah. the first days. And I you- think
1: I could do 10 right now.
0: <laughs> I missed well, that. I mean, whatever, like the equivalent, you probably oh. would recover very well. Yeah because I'm used to it then and then when you think of extreme cases like when I after back surgery and because I was like trying to do minimal steps even doing 10,000 steps in fact I remember this was quite a long time after back surgery as well this isn't that relevant I find the story funny I was doing lateral raises with eight kilogram dumbbells and I put them on the floor and I like lunged down to pick them up and I was like I can't pick up like, because of my legs, not my arms. I was like, my arms are legitimately stronger than my legs.
1: <laughs> oh. Anyway, the body. point is,
0: that was like, um, obviously a huge amount of training So even, like, walking a lot was, like, quite a lot yeah. of stimulus on my legs. So I couldn't, like, I would definitely not be able to do what you're doing, train legs every day. But having some kind of stimulus every day on a muscle isn't inherently bad as long as you're recovering from yeah.
1: it. So all um, of that, like if it's body weight, it's probably fine if you've been doing it for...
0: They're not it? body weight because she's using machines, but like, oh, like, yeah. like curl. But, but if
1: you say doing like 10 reps at a lightish weight, because if she's had, if she's recovering from a meniscal tear, then I'd assume it's not going to be very heavy. It's just moving the muscle and like the joint. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's
0: inherently bad. As long as yeah. you're, exactly what Claire's saying, as long as you recover from it.
1: yeah I Um, think as well like one way to guide that is if you're for your injury is if there's swelling swelling's not bad um it just depends on how much swelling and how much that impacts the movement around that injury so if you've got a little bit of puffiness then it's fine but if you're doing this every day and that swelling is not going down then I'd maybe think about reducing it as well mm -hmm.
0: Okay, next question. Zoe, this question might fit in energy levels, maybe be emotions related, but I'll ask anyway. I notice if I've had a busy few hours trying to be on time for things and organize myself well, once I stop, I need to eat or I feel like I need to eat, which can sometimes end in overeating. Do you have any tips on how to recognize the difference between hunger and emotions at this point? So it sounds to me like, If you've been busy for a few hours, you've maybe missed when you were normally going to... Like, often, this is going to sound very simple, but often, like, the simplest answer is the right answer. Like, are you busy over lunchtime? So now, instead of... Normally, you'd have lunch at half twelve, and now it's, like, half three, and then you're surprised that you're overeating. Like, you may have just got uh, actually genuinely quite hungry. It doesn't sound much like emotions to me.
1: No, I think it sounds like normal hunger if she thinks that she's doing if it's happening too much maybe there's a few other things she could try like just making sure her meals are more packed out and drinking more water and so that she's not hungry so soon after but it does sound kind of like a normal hunger pattern yeah
0: and and I think just the exact point of like slow down because I do this as well a lot especially if you're you kind of get to the point where you're a little bit hungry, and it kind of makes you a little bit stressed. So then you get home, and you like like rush through the door, and then you just like start eating stuff as you're cooking instead of just being like, okay. The difference between eating ten minutes later yeah. and eating right now is yeah. that nice meal and sitting down and eating it, and and also like to the point that sometimes I would get like a, quite a painful stomach because I'd eaten so fast. I'm like, <laughs> 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 you know, take time here a little bit. So just. Oh, wow. Just being conscious of that. (laughs) Um, Okay. Zoe. I'd like to know just how difficult it is for postmenopausal women to build muscle. I know beginners usually get gains quite quick. Does this still apply if you're postmenopausal? I suspect my body is now producing little to no testosterone. I'm awaiting a blood test, which I read was vital to build muscle. Thank you. Um. I guess there's a couple of things here. So will you still get, quote, unquote, newbie gains post-menopause? Yes. Will they be potentially slightly dampened? Also potentially yes. Um, Testosterone plays a role, but actually with menopause, because women's testosterone levels are relatively low anyway, with menopause it's more to do with estrogen. So if you're on HRT, this negative impact will be mitigated to an extent but with low estrogen like you have less it's more the protective effect of estrogen or muscle breakdown and recovery that impacts how much you can grow so obviously part of training is is breaking down the muscle but then you need to recover from that in order to build the muscle to then adapt and then build muscle um that is slightly impaired there's also something else that was quite interesting i was reading about uh and now i can't remember off the top of my head It was more like the mechanistic or the how that actually happens with like myofibrils and but anyway it's not really that relevant that's essentially high level what happens is like your ability to recover from exercise is slightly reduced but as I said if you have it if you're taking HRT and replacing that then you shouldn't experience it to the same extent what's probably going to have more of an impact is if you're struggling with any of the symptoms of menopause i.e things like reduce sleep, which also will reduce recovery, make it harder for you to stick to your diet. You may also need slightly more protein or at least benefit from slightly more protein. Um, and everyone as they age, men and women, has this uh, slight anabolic resistance, which kind of, I guess, gets slightly bigger as you age. And that just means that you don't respond as sensitively to the stimulation of muscle protein synthesis both via nutrition i.e protein and via exercise which means that you either need to do like have a little bit more protein or what i often do with menopausal women is have them train more often so you're stimulating that muscle more often but with lower volume so it's easier to recover from
1: yeah i think that all sounds
0: yeah
1: really great yeah
0: I I think the other point is just because, and this is reading into the question. So Zoe, this might not um, be applicable to you, but some people read something like it's much harder to build muscle post menopause and then think, well, what's the point trying?
1: Yeah.
0: Like for your health, there's even more point trying, right? Like it is Mm -hmm. harder to build this really important organ essentially that is going to keep you healthy and mean that you can live independently for longer and literally reduces your risk of dying. So if it's harder to do, like, you should probably try a little bit harder to to build it. It's like saying, oh, you know, if you don't have as much money, then what's it like? It might be harder to, I don't know, make money. So you wouldn't be like, well, I'm not bothered making it at all. You'd be like, I need to be a little bit more careful with what I have or work a little bit harder to make a bit more. Rather than when you're younger and, like, actually building muscles a bit easier, you can probably, if you want to, quote-unquote, get away with doing a little bit less, and still having the health benefits. Although really, you want to build up that bank of muscle. Or if we're going back to the money analogy, paying into your pension for your future self, which essentially like from a health perspective is what resistance training is. You're kind of paying into that pension for your future self. So even if you do, and what we see in like general population trends is you do get this like peak in muscle mass and then it does start to reduce as you age. But that doesn't have to happen. Right. So then you look at more individual cases and I shared something on this the other day and it was showing the graph of like muscle of a 30 year old who doesn't lift weights or doesn't resistance train and then muscle of a 70 year old who does. And it's like they have, you know, the 70 year old still wins because he lifts weights like your actions have a big impact here. Part of the reason we see this decline in muscle as people age is because of their actions is because most people don't lift weights, don't go to the gym, don't eat enough protein. They're not really, they're studi- studying the general population and then extrapolating that out. So you have to think about who that's about. And Zoe, it's not about you. You're on Commit to Six. Like, you're doing all the right things. Like, mm. think and that can be really demotivating when you read kind of headlines like that. Like, oh, as you age, this happens. It's like, no, no, no. The average person, as they age, this happens. You are you not- You li-
1: counteract that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay here's a good question should we eat more carbs on strength training days than
1: rest days I think there's for me you might have a different answer to this but I feel like this is a bit of a preference thing Um, it depends on how you feel strength training so if you get fatigued quite easily then potentially you could eat something prior as a bit of like a boost um if you really are fine training then it might be that on your rest day because you're not training then maybe you want to eat more because you know you've got more time um you know you might think like potentially if you're training a lot like with our say the footballers and we'd encourage them eating something post-workout but that's just to kind of refuel as efficiently as they can for the next session so it depends if you're doing like sessions back to back as well then maybe you would like to do that I'd assume that it's just the one session a day though so you don't really need to do um refueling strategies but yeah this that's kind of my answer it's a bit vague but I think
0: you're totally right like most people who are training three to six times a week you know not more than double sessions in a day you don't need to worry about like refueling yeah. your glycogen stores and also the kind of training that we're doing probably isn't going to massively deplete glycogen stores no. anyway so no. you don't really need to worry about it at all plus people get great results on low carb diets as well who are essentially yeah. not eating any carbs wouldn't suggest that as an extreme but it's a good way of thinking about it to be like oh, okay like you can still build muscle on minimal carbs so I don't need more for strength training days and then I just think we all probably overestimate how much energy is expended during a workout. Like when you see, yeah, definitely, in, like plugging on like full sugar LeukaZade, I'm like, you've actually consumed probably more calories than you've expended <laughs> in this session. And, and it's a shame because people don't know that. Yeah. And I guess, a good example, we, we touched briefly on like how you transfer your knowledge from working with elite athletes to general population. And there are things that you can transfer. And then there are things that you don't want to, right? So you yeah. might see an elite athlete drinking a load of leucoside, eating a banana halfway through, getting in a protein bar straight after, or whatever, because they're doing three sessions that day, right? So they yeah. need to do that. Yeah. if you take their nutrition advice, you'll be extremely overweight because you don't spend half as much energy as they do. Yeah. So you have to, like with the nutrition, I'd be a little bit more careful about that stuff. But yeah, you, you certainly don't have to have more carbs on strength training days and actually as Claire said like sometimes you'll find that you want to eat more on days you aren't training and because energy balance isn't like I think this is another point people think almost too short about it like if I drink carbs or if I eat some carbs right before training then they get used in the training that's where the energy comes from then afterwards I whatever carry on with my day that's not really how it works like if you had a big carby meal the night before and then you got up and trained fasted you'd still have a load of energy there in your muscles right it's not gone anywhere tonight so those are all kind of things to consider you probably think like longer term about your energy stores not in the immediate
1: there is also potentially um like if you need to add in some behaviors that make you feel like you're working towards your goal so do you know like maybe if she does is it a, was it a she um who was it sorry uh uh, sorry. uh yeah so potentially if adding in some of these behaviors makes you feel like you're really working towards the goal that you want they're also not a bad thing to introduce but you need to make sure like Emma said like if you introduce carbs pre or post or whatever the elite athlete potentially might do remember the energy balance I think that's really important even when I say that with my athletes as well like we talk about recovery between like the two three sessions that they might have but if that is being added on top of what their maintenance level is and they're not looking for any change in their physique then like that's also going to affect them like so yeah like there might be some little things that you do that make you think you've achieved like some of these really well like good behaviors that I think could encourage you do you know just to generally be on that health journey but just yeah be aware of what they do to everything like your energy balance and the rest of your meals and all of these kind of things
0: agreed like this is a a very good question but also it's maybe one that you need to think about as well um, what have you learned through your training slash career that you wish you knew earlier and you think should be common knowledge
1: huh.
0: like that's a big question
1: yeah um I think one of the biggest things is it's kind of like what I touched on before um like when I started to work with general population and then when I started to be mentored by other coaches and involved in other programs like sometimes when you're coaching athletes you're just given programs um to coach the athletes on and I remember when I first started and being quite judgmental of other coaches and people in the gym thinking why are they doing that why are they doing it in that order why are they doing that exercise like just because it wasn't my way. <laughs> and I had a way of putting together what I deemed as the optimal program. And cause I was doing it with like, say my GP fencers or something. um, And it wasn't that long after that I realized that there's so many way to do, ways to do everything. And when I would set programs for general population and they wouldn't do something as optimally as I'd want it, I'd be like, well, the program's ruined. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) but it's not. And I think as I've had more experience, I've been so much more flexible. And I think it's the flexibility of sometimes they're going to come into a session with me and I'm going to realise that they literally are completely gobbed. They don't have any energy. We're just going to do some stretching. We're going to do some mobility. We're going to just let them chill and when I first started I would not I would have been like, oh my god they've got to come in and squat heavy which wouldn't be you mm. know productive for their rehab uh, not rehab recovery so I think that's probably one of the things it's like understanding the athletes and like uh, when things maybe just need to change and why things won't go to plan. You know, coaches will sometimes be like, okay, no, Claire, I don't want them to do a strength session. We're just going to go home after football. And again, out at the start, I'd be like, what? <laughs> but yeah, I think that is something, is the flexibility around programmes and understanding when something is important and when it needs to change. Um, try to think if there's any...
0: I think that's a really good point it, even like I'll often get people who send me something that their coach has sent them I mean there are numerous problems with this I'm like why are you working with someone that you don't trust anyway and and if you yeah. have your program like your coach should be able to explain that like now, anyone on commit six who's like why do we do this we're like oh this is why we do it you don't need to go to someone else and be like no oh, they've given me this why have they given me this like and the other thing is like I'm like I can't comment on someone else's program because often it's things as well like I weigh this and my coach has given me these calories don't you think that's a bit low and I'm like firstly why have you paid someone
1: yeah
0: like not actually communicate with them but secondly like I don't know that actually your adherence is really poor and they know that and they've set your calories a little bit lower knowing that you're going to eat about 20% over that Mm -hmm. anyway and that then you'll be in a deficit and I don't know that there's like a and that would be the way that I do it but that's not to say it doesn't necessarily work
1: yeah
0: anyway I just think that's and I used to quite be like that if someone sent said me something I'd be like no that's way too late that's ridiculous what why would anyone put you on that or blah blah blah, blah. like or yeah
1: yeah why
0: would they give you body part splits when you could be doing push pull legs or something and you're like yeah well, they said that they would like doing body part splits. like
1: that's yeah that is one thing I said and I didn't actually expand on isn't it um I I was like that especially as an s coach when do you know, like the different groups, almost like CrossFit, powerlifting, weightlifting, S bodybuilding? They all almost have some sort of vendetta, weight, but yeah. huh? Like vendetta against, or almost yeah. like,
0: one is better than the other. It's not, yeah, like, exactly. What are we doing? And what? Yeah, looking for I think people miss that. It's like people ask me, like, what's better, CrossFit or cardio? And I'm like, what do you want? what's the outcome here
1: yeah so that I think is something I definitely did I'd be like oh my god people doing bodybuilding splits and then I became a bodybuilder (laughs) and I understand uh, you know I understood that and sorry god that was bad English I I understood (laughs) (laughs) Um, why they did it and then I did a bit of powerlifting I understood why they would squat more than once a week and same with weightlifting why they did the main lifts more than once and all of these things then made sense once I tried them all um and now I'm like well if that I will utilize all of those into my programming now because they all have a place like even with athletes like if an athlete needs to build muscle then they're going to have a hypertrophy more bodybuilding kind of type program in there so that was definitely something I would judge as well
0: okay right next question Hey, what's uh, So, from your perspective, where does cardio fit into a plan, if at all? If I do a day with alternate bike, ski, erg, uh, row sprints, or have battle ropes, kettlebells, etc session, do you just use those as a warm up or accessory to a strength session, but not count those as a workout on their own?
1: So, there's different ways you can answer that. Um, if you're using those exercises as almost like a finisher i don't think there's any issue in adding them on the end i'd say if you add them at the start and the strength training is your priority then you're probably going to be a bit fatigued going into them that's maybe something um like i used i like doing finishes with athletes at the end like and some general population because sometimes they feel like if they've done something hard at the end then they've really had a good workout So that could be one way of approaching it or two ways um if you're doing a lot of these like if it's not just like a finisher type kind of thing then you might want to think more about I don't know if you've heard the phrase like concurrent training uh where you're you know your strength training as well as cardio you're doing cardiovascular work and the effect, the interference effect that they have on each other there's a lot before there was a lot more evidence suggesting that they had a big effect but that's more for like elite populations of either side. So if you're a powerlifter or an endurance athlete, if you add in either strength or, you know, long runs into your program, then it's probably going to interfere with your goal because you want to be the peak of either end of that spectrum. Whereas if you're sitting in the middle and you're trying to do strength cardio, even if you're primarily your goal is strength work, cardio yeah. adding in like a couple of sessions a week or something isn't really going to affect that at all. Um and
0: benefit as well like even just in terms of like moving your body but doing something different adding a different stress you also yeah. get there's the concurrent effect which is often seen as negative but then yeah. I think with general population it's additive because it's yeah. like you're getting these key health benefits of cardio Definitely. and these key health benefits of resistance and, on top of yeah. each other.
1: And if you're you know if strength training is your primary goal or say like even with athletes I work with like there is a big fight working with goalkeepers into how much cardio work they do uh, this is different to different teams but I believe and most SNC coaches will understand that the fitter you are the better your recovery is so that you're better at recovering between explosive movements. So even though a goalkeeper is just standing there and doing bursts every now and then, these explosive bursts, the recovery in between each of these bursts will be better if they're fitter. So that's something I always found hard trying to get athletes to buy into is doing, you know, like cardio tests and um then actually programming cardio for them. But if you're just general population and you don't really have that kind of goal and like you're scared that it's going to interfere with your performance then it's actually going to help with your recovery there's maybe things that you could do like if you can do them on different days that'll benefit you more in terms of like you, they'll really won't interfere if you have to do them on the same day maybe do them like a few hours apart but if you can't and you have to do them in one session it's really not the end of the world um yeah answer the question
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I'll just add because she was like, um, do I have to do as warm up as opposed to a strength session? And then do they not count as a workout on their own? It's not really that they don't count as a workout. It's just that we like you to do three resistance training workouts a week. So it's not like other yeah. workouts don't count. It's just they're not the same. You can't be like, oh, I'll just do this instead of my resistance training workouts because they have different benefits and adaptations. Um, Okay, another question from Kate. I struggle to do some exercises on my own as I've been strength training for a while and the weights are quite heavy to maneuver into position. I guess the key is to find a workout buddy to train with, but any tips when you're on your own and nervous about getting in and out of exercises? I'm lucky enough to train with a PT a couple of days a week. Um, This is just when I'm on my own and not wanting to lose momentum. Great question. I think it partly depends on the exercise that you're doing. Um, And then I would try, if you're going to train with a PT a couple of times a week, I would put the more like quote unquote danger exercises with them. So things like getting dumbbells up, if you're doing heavy dumbbell chest press is hard. You could avoid that to an extent with bench press, but I would, if you're lifting heavy bench press, I still want you to have a spot. So you need someone for those movements, but. Squats not so much because you start from a racked position if you know how to use the safety bars. Like it's yeah. actually pretty safe to do that. You just need to know how to use them. Um I'm trying to think of any others. Like uh, the, they should be relatively easy to get into position. I can't think of ones that like if you're doing push press or something, you'd start with you know, in with the bar in the right position. Yeah.
1: And it's just utilizing the rack maybe a little bit more with um. Maybe like I don't know, glute bridges, maybe? I don't know with that, but potentially you that onto your Yeah, maybe I'm unless
0: sure. you are doing like dumbbell glute bridges, in which case I just changed the barbell and yeah. then onto itself. Um what else was I thinking about there? Sorry interrupt. Um, the other thing to do as well is maybe don't want to do this, but maybe for people who are just like a little bit intimidated by the gym at the moment just use like especially in this situation where you're like okay a couple of times a week i can use my pt so i'll do my big heavy lifts there where i want someone to look at form where you know i want someone to push me a little bit more that might be a good place to do that is and then you could always be like right okay i don't have a spot for bench press but realistically it's not actually that different than machine chest press which is pretty and you can't really go wrong with so you could just add a couple of reps and go heavy on like a machine press instead
1: yeah it could also be that um potentially like so if I've had athletes that I only see once a week and I want them to do something else is I do make sure that they do the stuff like you said the harder stuff with me and then the stuff that I know they're competent with and safe with out outside but maybe if you don't always get that chance maybe just drop in the weights but um going for more volume so that then you are just a little bit safer with the load that is on your back and maybe doing the strength training with someone. So that could be another way of getting those exercises in.
0: Okay. This is one of the most important questions. What animal, if any, is cuter than a baby otter?
1: Oh. Uh, Do you know what? I watched this program on Netflix, which is um, the world's cutest animals. (laughs) <laughs> and oh, it was how many? It? How many, how many watched it? <laughs> Quite <What>? a lot. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, I think oh, their number probably. one animal was it a panda? Oh uh, yeah. A baby panda is one of my favorite because they're so silly. They just flop about everywhere like it's like a drunk baby. <laughs> like, So I would put a baby panda up against the baby otter, but a baby otter is one of my favourites, to be honest. They
0: are very cute. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay, so we will make this the last question. Um, Journaling is helping, but any other good resources that you can point me to on body image? The reason that I put this in, by the way, is just because I know you've had experience. I know you've, like, I honestly think anyone who's competed... And has had that experience and prep people for shows and then like come away from it and obviously you work with like teenage girls playing football but it's such an, an important area to talk about and that you've had experience in so I don't know if there's anything that you would add
1: um I don't really know maybe you'd have a better idea of actual resources but I think the way that I try to deal with it is more like the focus on performance so just trying to like really think about um respecting their body and how their body is there to help them do what they want to do so to help them perform to help them to even just live like I think and getting that external um like performance response so even like with individuals I've worked with like potentially they've come to me after certain eating disorders and they want a focus on a say, weightlifting goal and just something where it's like not physique based where it's just I want to get fitter I want to get stronger and just really talking to them about that and how that makes them feel is something that I've done and it's the same with like footballers that like we have our nutrition talks and everything is based on okay so if you need to run faster or run for longer this is why we need to eat this and this is so I think it's really just emphasizing like what good nutrition does for the performance um and just I don't really know if that's really answered the question though (laughs) honestly body image
0: works so hard and I think it depends on where you are on the spectrum like yeah therapy is a great tool if if you think this is and I think people put this kind of stuff off but if it's if you're thinking about it every day and it's you know ruining your mood every single day and it's something that's stopping you doing things it's negatively impacting your life people always ask like when do you go to therapy when it's negatively impacting your life you don't have to have like a tick box criteria of something like I, that's when i would go like if this is negatively impacting my life that's when i would go and do something about it as opposed to waiting yeah. I just, for an indefinite point where you're like oh yeah then i'll go Well, it's not that bad so i won't bother going it doesn't need to be that bad right you don't need to be wildly overweight to start dieting you don't need to have an awful injury to go to the physio like the same kind of thing like prevention is better than a cure you yeah. don't get my life could i feel better if i dealt with some of this stuff if the answer is yes then like absolutely go and do that i think definitely focusing on what your body can do which is exactly yeah. what you just said um for me something that really helped was setting bigger goals that aren't about my body and that i don't like honestly to me the best body image is not really thinking about your body like people who have really good body image they don't really think about it that much it's not that they look a certain way you'll get people with horrendous body image in fact some of the people i know that have the worst body image on the surface look the best right as in like standard social norms of the best like are. Oh, models or in like very small bodies and then there are people that are very overweight and have poor body image as well like it's not a size it's how you're thinking about your body and the other people can be like oh my god you look amazing but you don't feel that about yourself so um I think for me it was it was like perspective having bigger goals and honestly just getting pissed off at myself for thinking like for taking up so much brain energy thinking about like there is comes a point where you're just like, fuck this. Like yeah. but then the reason I kind of caveat that at the start is that depending on where you are on like the spectrum of how badly that's affecting you, that's not helpful for someone who maybe needs therapy. If I'm like it's yeah. like someone who's depressed, just don't you just try and make another, right? Whereas actually there are people who are on like the mood spectrum of like depression at one end and really happy at the other who do just need to be told stop fucking letting spilt milk ruin your day. Like let yes. go. You just need to like be a little bit more lighthearted, do a bit of gratitude practice. And honestly, the vast majority of people, that will improve their life. Yeah. Telling someone who has depression to write down one thing they're grateful for every day, it's yeah. probably not that's... Like, it's be the solution, right? And it's same yeah. with that. It's hard to give the right advice because depending on how much that's affecting you, you might need more yeah. support. But I would say for most people who are like, middle range like almost just kind of like trying to find ways of letting it go focusing on what yeah. you do, being grateful for it.
1: I do agree with that I think um like I, I kind of mentioned on the I think it was the Q&A that obviously like, after having um Tommy like six weeks postpartum obviously I've lost my bump but I'm still holding like the weight that I put on during pregnancy it was just reframing it first, as in one, I can change it. Two, it was needed, and then three, like focusing on him and like you know, I've got him, and I've got yeah. like, well, having, like <laughs> a small amount of body fat that that yeah.
0: is changeable. Like yeah, but on some fat, you stored some extra energy, and you can expend it if you want, right? Yeah, exactly. You
1: have an amazing
0: son, like
1: yeah. So that external, like, and then even just like with my my animals and James and like the life that I can actually do with them was like a bigger focus for me and it definitely helped obviously it's not like flip a switch and that is my constant thought like sometimes that when I'm changing I am like oh I can't wait to be able to work out but that's more mentally as well it's not even just physically it is more about mentally I miss hard workouts (laughs) yeah and I think that's People
0: have this like misconception that if you do have good body image, that you'll never think about it. You'll never have bad days. You'll never Mm -hmm. like scale weight's a good example of this. You might still be slightly disappointed by scale weight, but the difference between you now, because you've done commit six, you've had this great support, and you've done the work, is you're disappointed for about ten seconds, and then you're like, it's probably a fluctuation. I'm moving on, getting on with my day. Right, doing my morning versus. This is going to ruin my whole day. I'm giving up on my diet. Nothing's worth it. Or you, it puts you in a bad mood all day. Like, and those are the differences. It's not that you'll never think about it again. Yeah. Like, yeah. it becomes a bit of a passing thought. You're like, yeah, I can't wait till I work out, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it all day. Yeah. I, um, I had that thought. Now I move on with my day versus always thinking about it. Yeah.
1: It Also, like, I know what's been helping me is like, so I can't really give as much to myself right now until I get the all clear, which is just something you're like, I feel like I'm not looking after myself as much, but there's other things you can do to look after yourself that will make you feel better make you feel like you're actually respecting your body. And, and that is with like my food and like, even like just getting dressed and like doing my makeup or something, just things that make me feel good. And that could be going for a walk as well. So it's like, I think that's that
0: about body image as well sometimes it's certain clothes that give you a bad body image
1: yeah
0: or, or like you know that like you're wearing clothes that just don't really fit you that well or they're yeah. old lost the elastic or whatever and then because you've got bad body image you also have lower self-worth so you're like I'm not spending money on myself I'm not going to buy myself nice clothes and it seems so like small but actually wearing like new gym stuff that actually fits you and isn't 10 years old and hasn't lost the elastic can really do a lot you know
1: yeah, yeah. these little things can definitely add to making you feel better um,
0: or even just like I mean I can't talk because I look like shit
1: today <laughs> but like getting up <laughs> doing makeup like actually washing your hair like yeah. make- which a is better. a big achievement for me right now <laughs> You look great today. I actually am on it. Like my hair was straight from yesterday. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I need yeah, Make the most out of it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, right. I love that. Thank you so much for your time and for your brain. We will come back and answer the rest of the questions later on in the week. And Thanks That's all me. I have
1: to say. Welcome. Yay! <laughs>